We continue in our sermon series titled Field Notes, Movement with a Migrant God. We had an amazing month celebrating Filipino American history. Shout out name, please. Shout out to all the Filipina familia who was with us and who spiritually formed us in your own stories of migration and your own stories of your family and your own stories of God. And we are better for it. So again, I just want to thank you to everyone. So we return back to and we are jumping into the book of Ruth to see the movement of migrant women and how comadres, I'll tell you in a minute what comadre means, how comadres lead and love, and love community in the midst of migration. The Bible written by migrants. I want you to, to remember that. You might want to put a little footnote. Like, story, every book was written by a migrant. And if we want to see God on the move, let's take a look at the people who are on the move in Scripture. I'm going to shackle my hands right now. Ooh. Can you even preach if you're a Latina with a mic in your hand? Gotta move my hands. Gotta move my hands. So let's look at the people who are on the move in Scripture in our very real lives in the book of Ruth. Migration is a means of God's grace. And we will see that in the story of these two comadres. Why do I use the term comadres? Comadres is a term in Latin America that literally translates as co-mother. Co-mother. It could be your godmother that your parents gave you. It could be your mom's bestie that's like an auntie and god godmother. Or it could be your own just best friend. So it could be someone above you or someone next to you up here that you're like, you're my comadre. You're like, wherever you go, I will go. We will go to the bathroom together at the restaurant. Like that kind of comadre. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Like you go, we got to travel in packs, right? Even to go to the restroom. Someone you do life with laugh with someone who is tight with you is a comadre. So today, I'm going to refer to Ruth and Noemi as comadres, which is a lens of my social location. The context surrounding the book of Ruth is very important. This is a post-exilic book, meaning that the protagonists have experienced trauma and oppression. Trauma and oppression, oh, that's problematic. I forgot I had that going through my shirt. This is a post-exilic book, and it means that the, that the protagonists have experienced trauma and oppression. And I do want to say this because it's really important. In, in all of our prophetic books and in all, all of our post-exilic books, trauma and oppression distorts our view of self, our view of God, our view of the other, our view of others that are like us, in our view of our circumstances. And that's a whole other sermon. But that's very important in this context and specifically in this book. The people have experienced exile and they're also experiencing a famine. Ruth is also part of the writings. So there's, there's groupings, there's the Torah, and then there's the prophets, and then there's the writings. And Ruth is carefully placed in the writings. It's part of the grouping of books of the, uh, like Job and the Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Esther and Daniel and a few others. And it's also very important that Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra specifically, wrote about things that were happening around this time which impact the life of Ruth. 
and impact the life of Noemi or Naomi in English. Ezra, for example, is appalled, is appalled as a prophet at the people of Israel because intermarriage is prohibited at this time for fear that the Israelites would follow other gods. He is so appalled by it that he tears his tunic, he pulls his hair and his beard out, and he cries out in protest with his own body at intermarriage. This is important for us as Christians because it's important to understand that these texts have often been weaponized against interracial marriages, okay? And so we need to learn to study uh, the text in its context. In Ruth, though, we see an inbreaking of this paradigm. In Ruth, some of us may remember that there was a time in history that some marriages in this church would have been illegal. Uh-huh, like my marriage with Rob would have been illegal prior to 1967 in the United States. Patrick and Christina, sorry to tell you that your marriage were also be, would have also been illegal prior to 1967. And so this is not a new problem, it's an old problem. And it's important for us to understand and to be able to um, separate how scripture has been weaponized in systemic racist ways. But in Ruth, we see an embreaking. In Ruth, we see that the spirit very matter-of-factly says, oh yeah, and so Elimelech uh, brought uh, Noemi and Noemi, and then they had children, and then those children married Moabite wives. This is very important to our view of God and our view of God's expansive love. God's love is so expansive that it pushes the borders of life and pushes the borders of love and reconditions us and points us to the new. So Ruth is one of Jesus' ancestors. Ruth is an abuelita. Ruth is a spiritual uh, mother. Ruth is a comadre. So let's look at Ruth chapter 1, the first uh, the first chapter is where I'm going to sit with today. I'm not going to preach everything. In fact, I think there's two sermons in me. So today I'm not going to say everything. There'll be a second, a second sermon on Ruth. But in, in the first few verses of Ruth, there's a man named Elimelech, whose name means my God is king. Elimelech is from Bethlehem, which means house of bread. In Bethlehem, there is a famine. They're experiencing a famine. So he lives in a land that is experiencing a famine. And out of necessity, one of Jesus' ancestors leaves Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar to some of us? Out of necessity and survival, Elimelech and Naomi are displaced and moves to Moab with his wife and his two sons, Malon and Kilion. Elimelech unfortunately dies, so Noemi becomes a widow, which places her in one of the Old Testament's ultra-vulnerable groups. And you should know these by heart. There's five. You can count them with one hand. The widow, the orphan, the poor, the sick, and the foreigner. And God has a preferential treatment and a preferential love and a preferential preference towards this ultra-vulnerable group in the Old Testament. Malon and Kilion take Moabat wives, wives <laughs> Orpah and Ruth. But unfortunately, 10 years later, these two young men also die like their father. 
Naomi is a widow and now has lost two children, two sons specifically, which places her in, in a higher vulnerability, socioeconomically speaking. Naomi decides to return to Judah with, with her daughters-in-law. And on the way, something, something changes. I can't quite tell. I've been reading this over and over and over, and I can't quite tell because it says they decide to return. They're on their way back, but on the way, uh, Naomi has a change of heart, and I can't tell how her mind changes. She, she changes her mind. And this is a turning point for Naomi and Orpah and Ruth's relationship in verse 8. Naomi uh, releases and blesses her daughters-in-law, and she says, y'all just need to go back home to your mother's houses, which is interesting that she blesses her daughters-in-law, tells them to return to their mother's households, which is, which is odd for a patriarchal society. But she blesses them and she, she wishes on them kindness and safety. And it's interesting that she uses those two words. She wishes for kindness and safety to meet them. Maybe these are the things that women in crisis and people in, under extreme vulnerability need the most. And I have, as we have been watching the news for, since October the 7th, it's not lost on us that we need to pray for safety and some ever-loving kindness. Naomi wishes that on her daughters-in-law and sends them back. And her daughters-in-law, the nueras in Spanish, the nueras say, no, we're going, we're going with you. We're going to your people. And Noemi says, listen, if I were to get married today, you guys, and have a child today, y'all couldn't wait that long for a man, for a husband, you know, for a spouse. And so they weep. And um, Orpah returns home. But Noemi says to Ruth, entonces, what about you? Why are you not leaving? Like, you are no longer bound to me by marriage. You're no longer bound to me. You can go back. You're not legally bound. But this is when we jump into Ruth's words, our spiritual comadre, our spiritual uh, ancestor. And this is where I would like to read from the text and sit with for a minute. Noemi says, see, your sister-in-law, she's speaking to Ruth, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says, do not press me to leave you. Another translation of that is, do not press me to forsake you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh do this and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So Ruth was a bit stubborn, and Naomi quickly found out, this woman is not leaving me alone. She is not going to leave no matter what I say, no matter what happens to us. She is not leaving me. The comadres here are the story. The comadres here mirror the love of God. The comadres are part of God's larger story and are building the house of God pre-generations Je before Jesus. What can the actions of these comadres tell us about God and about our own humanity that can shape our own migrant stories? And if you were not here at the beginning when we, when we 
um, laid out the plan for the sermon series, remember that we all have a migrant story, and it doesn't just mean moving geographically from point A to point B. That we are moving and migrating from ways of thinking, from ways of being, from ways of belonging, from ways of identifying ourselves. It is not just a geographical migration. So think about that as you sit and Comadre Ruth speaks to you tonight. This is an uncommon friendship between two women because there is no animosity between these two people groups. They represent two people groups that might have feared the other. Isn't that a word that we need today? This is an uncommon friendship because it is intergenerational. Obviously, uh, Naomi is, is older than Ruth, and I love that there's an intergenerational need and dependence, a healthy dependence on each other. And also, who can say, do not press me to forsake you? It was more than just a physical, don't leave me, or I'm not going to leave you. She saw it as, I'm not going to leave you in your biggest time of need. This is a widow who is in grief. She's not situated well socioeconomically to survive, and she does not want to leave her friend. She says, wherever you'll go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Wherever you are buried, there I will be buried. May God do such and such to me if anything but death separates me from you. How many of you have heard this at a wedding? Some of you may have recited these as vows at your wedding. And I didn't know until just a few years ago when I was studying this text more closely that this is not a marital vow. It's a deep and intimate friendship between two women. And two women can speak about maybe marriage love unto us. So I love that, that these two widows that are single, without a husband, without a child at the moment, can speak to us about the love of God. So this means that all of us today are invited into this type of comadre friendship. Okay, and my brothers, y'all are not left behind. There's also another, an, another um, uh, phrase called compadre. So it's the same thing, like co-father. Who are you doing life with, comadre or compadre? Okay, Gerardo, so com you're my compadre, I'm your comadre. Thank you, you can't get rid of me. All right. <laughs> I, just, I just said that. So you can have a comadre and you can have a compadre in the community of God. And I love that these vows are between two women that are not two married persons. All of us are invited into that deep and scandalous type of human friendship that mirrors our own friendship with God. So the first thing that I see in the story as we're listening to Comadre Ruth's words is that migration is a forced necessity sometimes. Migration is a necessity, but migration is a means of God's love. Migration is a means of God's love. And the migrant church can speak to us and can teach us about God's love. Comadre Ruth here with her words, I wish you would underline them, highlight them, highlight them and, and return to them over and over. Comadre Ruth here is a carrier of the covenantal love of God. The unconditional love of God because no human can say these words and keep them. 
maybe I should rephrase that and say, many humans can say these words, but it's hard to keep them apart from God. It can only be accomplished by God's grace. And it's not only for marriage. This is a type of love and this is a type of relationship that all of us need, that all of us need to survive as humans. And Comadre Ruth is the carrier of that covenant, not only literally, but also embodying God's loving kindness. She shows us with her words that she is a reflection of God's love and that God is a covenantal God. And God's people have the invitation and opportunity to be also a covenantal people. Comadres here are embodying this covenant love. It's a loyal love. It's a love that doesn't leave. It's a love that keeps going and going and going and going. When Hannah and Jennifer and, and Noah were leading us, and I was just thinking about your love comes running after, comes running after me. This is the kind of love that Ruth is prophesying about, telling the truth about, reminding Naomi in her time of need, no, I'm not going to leave you because God is not going to leave you. She is mirroring also the words that we know now. In Isaiah 43, they remind me of God's love towards a people. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. These are the words of a Yahweh and loving and persistent God. What is the grace in these verses that we see here? The grace in Isaiah 43, these few verses that I read about the love of God, is, it's not that there won't be waters. It's not that there won't be rivers that try to overcome you. It's not that there won't be fires in your life, but that you won't go through it alone. Thanks be to God. God puts the lonely in families, just like God is putting Ruth and Naomi together as chosen family. And I bet you know who your chosen people are. Those that maybe are not even biological connections, but they're your chosen family because you feel safe with them, an important aspect of community, and you feel like you belong with them. Migration is a means of God's love. And I love that Comadre Ruth is inviting us into receiving that kind of love from God, extending that kind of love unto others, and being that kind of love as a community. There's so many dimensions to these vows for community. Migration is a means of God's love, and migration is a means of God's company. Migration is a means of God's company, and it echoes the coming Christ. Because we know that Ruth in Matthew 1 is, is named in a genealogy that usually women were not named in genealogies, but Ruth appears here. Now, she didn't go about saying, I think I'm going to be a spiritual mother today, and so I'm doing this because, you know, I want my name written in the book, in the scroll. She was just being kind to her mother-in-law. She was just loving her mother-in-law. She was just washing her mother-in-law's feet. She was just saying, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not leaving you, and I'm not going away. 
Migration is a means of God's company. Comadre Ruth's words mirrors this theology of what we have in Latin America that we say a theology of acompañamiento that comes from Gustavo Gutierrez. A theology of Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean, church? We're about to go into Advent. This is a good sermon right before Advent. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. With us is God. Dios con nosotros y Dios con nosotras. Sometimes God doesn't show up because the people of God don't show up. So when the people of God shows up, then we're able to see the love of God in someone else's face and experience the grace of God in someone else's face. Migration is a means of God's company, and there's echoes of the coming Christ that has been chasing after you with an ever-loving love. This is an uncommon community of migration, but it is grounded in common humanity, common needs. Again, I, I, I can't... I can't help but think about everything that is happening in Gaza and to our Palestinian siblings right now as I think of this time of despair and need. People can't get out. People can't go in. And y'all, Naomi was not doing well. Naomi was not doing well. And I have been critical of Naomi in the past going, oh my gosh, she's just always, always complaining about her situation. And then God was like, excuse me. Excuse me, Inez. Over and over we see that she is a traumatized woman. She is a widow. She's lost her two sons. And she believes that the hand of the Lord has turned against her. And that's in verse 13. Okay. She believes that the hand of the Lord has turned against her. And later when she resettles in Bethlehem, she's like, I done changed my name, y'all. Don't call me. Don't call me Naomi anymore. My name is Mara. I am bitter. And I've been judgy towards Naomi in the past. And you know what, though? This is Naomi's honest testimonio. And y'all know that up in this church, we have honest testimonials. We don't need tidy testimonials. We need true testimonials that tell the truth about how we feel in a specific moment in time when we feel that God has forsaken us. That was Naomi's honest testimonial. And you know what Ruth does? Because I slowed down and I read this text again and then again and then one more time. Ruth doesn't correct her. Ruth doesn't say, God hasn't left you. God hasn't abandoned you. Sometimes when we're in the middle of grief and trauma, y'all know solar linings don't work. We are unable to hear a good news, a word of hope, nothing. When we're in the middle, in the thick of it, I don't need you to tell me how it could be worse. Because it dehumanizes us by dismissing our feelings and emotions, right? When we're in the middle of the fog of grief, it's hard to see God clearly. It's hard to see ourselves clearly. And it's hard to see others clearly. Comadre Ruth knows that. And so that's why she says, I'm not leaving you. I know that you just said God has forsaken you and God's hand has turned against you, but I'm right here. Don't underestimate the power of you not silver lining a conversation with a friend who is in grief. Don't underestimate the power of your presence and the power of you not correcting 
what maybe you don't believe in the moment because it's not helpful, and just saying, I'm right here. What can I do right now? Want me to clean your toilets? Want me to, want me to drive you to the doctor's appointment? Want me to hold your hand during that therapy? I'm right here. I am not leaving you, even if you believe that God has left you. Ruth, Comadre Ruth, does not dismiss Naomi's emotions. Ruth says, I'm not forsaking you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going anywhere. And girl, I wish you would try to send me back one more time <laughs> to my mother's household. God was with Naomi in her walking. If you want to ask where was God in the situation, God was in, in Ruth. Ruth was the embodiment of God's love. God was with Naomi in her walking as Ruth was with Naomi in her walking. Sometimes we can't see God because he or she comes dressed in someone else's skin. And they're right here in front of us, singing us a song in the waiting room at the hospital, bringing us a meal, texting you 10 times, even if you don't answer that text because you don't want to tell them how you really feel. Migration requires community, comunidad, to be fruitful and to flourish. Our ancestors who crossed deserts and borders and were forced to be displaced know that in times of migration, these can be the loneliest of times, the scariest of times, and the most treacherous journeys that one can take, especially when it comes to forced migration. I am not unfamiliar to forced displacement. Um, even though I came to the U.S. as an, a college student, I came as an older immigrant. Um, I grew up in Nicaragua, for those of you who don't know, and I was born a year before Nicaragua's Civil War. And if you go Google right now, when was Nicaragua's Civil War, I will have a talk with you. Okay, can we figure out what, how old I am? So anyways, I was born a year before the Civil War in Nicaragua. And then when I was one, my mom and I had to be evacuated in a Hercules airplane out of Nicaragua. My father stayed behind to care for his mother and his two sisters and my cousins. And I've heard this story over and over and over again. And um, the fear of violence and the fear of separation from my father is a memory that my body holds. And I've heard the story many a time. I, I've, I've heard the story before my mother passed, how, how difficult it was for her because she thought all three of them were going to get on that Hercules airplane to take him out. The Spanish government was like evacuating all of the Spanish citizens. And because I was my mother's daughter, I was being evacuated. And my father at the last minute said, I can't go with you. But he knew that if, she, if he had said that to my mother, she would, she would have been like, oh, I'm staying. I can't leave either. So at the last moment, I have this, this, this imaginary story where I've heard this over and over. My, my, my dad literally like shoved my mom into the airplane and said, by the way, I'm staying. I'll catch up with you later. And she was like, ah. like she was, she was pissed, y'all. I'm sorry to say that word up here in the pulpit. She was mad. She was mad. Um, and I've heard this story over and over before. And when we had to go to Spain, and we were there for almost a year, and I had to come back with my mother. I didn't recognize my father. I had forgotten the sound of his voice. Forced migration and displacement changes your view of God, changes your view of self, changes your view of your circumstances. 
But in all of those stories of displacement to, to Spain and back to Nicaragua, and then we had to leave one more time because there was more unrest. The community that was migrating with us, that was always there with us, I saw the love of God and the presence of God through them. I saw the love of God and the presence of God with how we had 20 people huddled in my house in Nicaragua and we were taking refuge during the Civil War. I don't remember this, but my body remembers it. I think that's why I don't like gunshot sounds and I, and I do don't like helicopters. <laughs> that's a bad city to live in LA. There's always helicopters around. I'm like, my body remembers the tension and, and the, uh, even though I didn't have words to express, my body remembers the separation. I even have to be careful just even now watching the news, how much I absorb and how much I get close to the pain. But if you get close to the pain, let me tell you, you will see that God is in the rubble. You will see that God is with you in the waiting room at the hospital. You will see that God puts the lonely in families. And whether you're migrating from another state, another city, another country, another ideology, whether you're migrating in your own body as you're trying to return to feeling at home in your own body, the one thing I know about migration is that going alone is not an option. Going at it alone is not an option. Going at life alone is not an option. And I've said this before, I'm gonna say this again. Isolation leads to self-deception, and self-deception leads to self-destruction. And Comadre Ruth, that is embodying the love of God, says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. This persistent and stubborn and loving God is chasing after you with an ever-loving love. And I don't know where you have been today, this week, this year, these past three years. I don't know where you have been, but don't go at it alone. Listen to Comadre Ruth. Our friend Elizabeth Hogston, who leads worship here, she's a member of our community, she just started her, her own business as a life coach, and I'm following her on Instagram and everything. And I was so blessed this week. She posted about um, disorientation as a very natural um, side effect of when we're deconstructing the things that we're changing our minds about. And that disorientation involves questioning and confusion and loneliness. It can, it can involve judgment by others because you are asking questions about your faith. It can involve your body feeling uneasy in certain faith spaces that trigger you. But it can also include freedom, Elizabeth said. It can include freedom in different ways of living, different ways of loving yourself, different ways of loving God, and reclaiming that which church trauma or church abuse has stolen from you. And I love the way Elizabeth uh, places it because she hopes that on the other side of this disorientation, that on the other side of this migration, wherever your migration story finds you, that you would find that God is bringing you back to yourself and back to your body. And I truly believe that God wants you to be in healthy community again and in a healthy ecosystem again. So as we listen to Comadre Drew's words and as we see her amazing leadership, she is, she is driven, she is determined, she is committed, she is loyal, she is faith-filled. 
And she wasn't trying to birth no Messiah. She was just being loving. The seed of the Messiah, though, was inside of her without her knowing. The seed of the Messiah. She secures the Messiah steps to the cross because of her risk-taking courage. Be encouraged by that today. That whatever you are doing today has effects for generations to come. And I'm not just talking biological descendants, but I've said here before that you are a spiritual ancestor. What is seeded inside of you right now? What is the seed of the Messiah that's inside of you right now? She doesn't see the harvest of her healing. She doesn't see the harvest of her courage. She doesn't see the harvest of her faithfulness, but she is embodying God's faithfulness. And through Comade Ruth, there is generational healing and a tender disruption. She gives birth to Obed, and then there comes Jesse, and then there's a king inside of her. She has no idea there's a king inside of her, meaning Jesus, but there's also David. And I want us to be encouraged by that story today. I'm not going to finish the story today because, like I said, this is a whole book and it's beautiful. But I want us to begin with her vows. And I want, her to, I want us to begin with her courage. And I want us to think, even as we prepare our hearts for, the, for this annual cycle of Advent, how God is seeding things in you that right now it looks a little foggy. And you don't know how these circumstances could, could change or could, could anything good could come out of this. I know. I've been there before, I will be there again, I am there now. But today, may you be encouraged by this spiritual mother, by this comadre who is persistent and her stubborn love speaks to us of God's steadfast love for you. May you find the Ruths in your life, the comadres in your life that embody the love of God and the community of God in your journey in small ways and in scandalous ways. May God seed in you hope. May God seed in you healing, generational healing. May God seed present healing that you need right now. May God seed provision that you need for your circumstances. I don't pretend to know every circumstance, but I can imagine some things are hard right now. And may God remind you that the seed of Emmanuel Dios con nosotros y Dios con nosotras is right here. The same faithful God that was faithful to Ruth is with us here right now. And don't be surprised if she comes dressed in someone else's skin or he comes dressed in someone else's skin. Dios está con nosotros. Let me pray for us. God, our father and God, our mother, God, the only perfect parent, God, I thank you that you love us with paternal instincts and maternal instincts. God, I thank you for Comadre Ruth and for the ways that her faithfulness are echoes of your own faithfulness. God, thank you that you love us with an everlasting love and you draw us with your loving kindness because you know that you are a God who can't force us to come to you or to love you because we are not robots. And so, God, I pray that your goodness would be evident in my brother and sister and siblings' lives this week. I pray that your goodness would come running after them. I pray that they would see slivers of your joy and slivers of your love and slivers of your faithfulness. And I pray that you would 
Help us be Ruth to somebody this week that needs it, that we would become that everlasting love, that steadfast love, that loyal love that doesn't leave us alone. And thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, with us is God, Dios con nosotros y Dios con nosotras. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.